0: Is 44 through 46, so I'll add a couple more, I'll add a couple more, I don't know what's going on over here, y'all behave, behave, I'm <laughs> going to read the Bible now, um, Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is God's good word for us. Thanks be to God. My task today is to talk about generosity, but my aim really is to talk about joy. Dale Bruner says of this passage that we just read, joy is the engine of sacrifice. Uh, Ashley and I, we, we dated long distance, most of our, uh, really, most of our relationship uh, during college. We were four hours apart at two different colleges. Uh, we were both pretty busy during college, busy people with work and ministries that we served in. Uh, at school, obviously, that was one of the things that we did during college sometimes. Uh, so, really... Sometimes during a given month, you know, I might only have like one day or half of a day where I could go visit her. So I would drive from where I was four hours over to, and she would be proud to say, uh, to Athens, Georgia, home of the Georgia Bulldogs is where she went. That I did marry into that. I'm surprised there wasn't more noise after that. You seem a little skeptical. (laughs) Yeah, thumbs down. Don't appreciate it. (laughs) Love you anyway. Um, So I would drive four hours there. Sometimes really to only have uh, an hour to get dinner with her, maybe two hours, get dinner. And then I would turn around and drive four hours right back that night. And, you know, during that season of my life, I don't remember ever having an inkling of complaint in my spirit about it. Like I was there, you know, grumbly on the drive. I had to drive all the way. Four hours over here. No. It, was, I just, it, didn't, it didn't even cross my mind that I was making a, a sacrifice, you might say. Now, of course, one of the challenges in marriage is to not take for granted the amazing, amazing person I have in my life who no longer lives four hours away, thankfully. But it, it can be so easy to take a valuable thing for granted and to lose perspective and to lose joy in the sacrifices that a relationship will require. So I think part of what Jesus is pulling out for us in this parable is, does making sacrifices for God's kingdom ever feel like a burden to you? Or just a straight up waste of time? My aim today is to help us to remember the privilege and the value of participating in God's kingdom such that we would joyfully trade and sacrifice anything for it. Now, right out of the gate, before I start, there are a couple of uh, pitfalls or maybe misunderstandings that I want to try to address. First, for anyone here who's not a Christian, I know it can be uncomfortable to hear, uh, to listen to a pastor talk about money. And, uh, you know, it's like, here we go, those pastors are just here to fleece the flock. Uh, And I guess you should probably know, I'm not exactly comfortable talking publicly about money either. It's not like the thing that I wake up in the morning that just gets me going that I look forward to doing. And I'm not at all asking you, uh, you know, if you're not a Christian, um, to to give to our church. The last thing I want to do is turn someone off from Christ because you mistake this sermon for like a predatory fundraiser. Um, Yet, you do need to know that becoming a Christian does affect a person all the way down to their wallet. Uh, The 19th century uh, Texas general governor, colorful famous figure, Sam Houston, uh, became a Christian later in life. And he got baptized. And after his baptism, he offered to personally pay for half of his town's minister's salary. And someone asked him, you know, Mr. Houston, why, why do you want to do that? He said, well, my pocketbook got wet too when I got baptized. Not to mention, Jesus taught frequently about money and possessions. About 15% of his teachings relate to money, um, which is more even than he said about heaven and hell when you do the statistics. So, if you're considering following Jesus, you have to think about how that might affect your resources. Now, these, these two parables should not be misinterpreted to say that someone could have, somehow buy their way into God's kingdom or earn his favor and love. But it is saying that participating in God's kingdom is so valuable that any sacrifice you might have to make to participate in it or to become a Christian is totally worth it, like no-brainer level worth it. Uh, But then the second concern that I want to address um, is even for our Northwake members. I realize that uh, talking about giving and generosity, uh, I'm talking about this during a challenging economic time. Groceries just cost way more these days along with everything else, so I'm really not looking to put any uh, pressure on anyone or guilt you into giving or squeeze blood out of any turnips today. Yet I also think uh, it is important to train ourselves in generosity even when things are hard for us personally, financially, Uh, even when we may be under financial duress. Paul references the Macedonian churches in one of his letters to the Corinthians as an example of this kind of generosity. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So financial hardship and joyful giving can somehow coexist. So today we want to look back at this year and then look ahead to next year as it pertains to our church's finances. And especially to our annual Gen 12 offering. Which I'll say more about uh, towards the end. But first, let's work our way through these, these two parables. So, back to Matthew chapter 13. I'll read uh, just verse 44, the first parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has. And buys that field. Now, to be fair, this parable, it's not primarily about finances. It's about the value of God's kingdom. The value of participating, of the value of being a citizen in that kingdom. And So, Jesus compares that, God's kingdom, to finding hidden treasure. Now, there's a reason that Jesus tells a story about God's kingdom being like treasure that was hidden in plain sight. These parables, these stories, Matthew 13 is Jesus' teachings, his parables, and it comes right after Matthew chapter 12, which is a brilliant sermon observation, I know, but I just wanted to go ahead and get that out there for you, mark that down, comes after Matthew 12, Um, but in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew presents Jesus, really up to that point through the book, as the long-awaited Messiah, the King, bringing the kingdom of God to the people of Israel, God in flesh descended from David, but there's just one big problem. Nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to believe. Hardly anyone gets it. Very few people see it. In chapter 12, Jesus is rejected by the spiritual leaders of Israel in a very decisive way. Uh, He's also estranged from his family in Matthew chapter 12. And then by the end of Matthew chapter 13, he'll be scorned by his hometown, So these parables are all told right sandwiched in the middle of rejection. Rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. I think part of the message of this parable is that he's the treasure hidden in plain sight. In a form that for many they found totally uninteresting. Uh, Just a few years ago, I think it was in 2015, there was a a couple in California. They preferred to remain anonymous for the news. uh, So we'll just call them John and Mary. They were out walking their dog when they noticed a rusty can barely jutting up from the ground. John says, I saw an old can sticking out of the ground on a trail that we had walked on almost every day for many, many years, and they had walked right past the rusty can. But one day, John decided to use a stick to dig it out. They carried it back to the house, despite, you know, it kind of weighed a lot. And I said to Mary, Wow, this thing is heavy. It must be full of lead paint. I couldn't figure out what in the world would weigh that much, John said. At that moment, the lid cracked off, and it exposed a rib of a single gold coin, he said. I clamped the lid back on. I found a can of gold coins, and I thought there was 0% chance of Mary believing me when I told her the look of bewilderment. Her mouth was so wide open, flies could have flown in and out of it several times. Mary added, I never would have thought that we would have found something like this. However, in a weird way, I feel like I've been preparing my whole life for it. (laughs) After further digging uh, with a metal detector, they didn't dig with the detector, but you know what I mean. They eventually unearthed eight cans, and the value of the gold coins totaled to more than $10 million. Uh, John concluded, the answer to our difficulties was right there under our feet for years. Don't be above bending over to check on a rusty can which now you're probably going to start doing that and all you're going to find is rotten tomatoes, but sorry. Um, God sent his Messiah, his kingdom, to his people in a rusty can kind of way. Jesus came humbly. He was modest. He was not the kind of Messiah that they expected. Maybe even for some of you who are still sorting out what to do with Jesus, if you're contemplating Christianity, maybe this feels like a familiar hang-up for you. I May mean, worship this guy who lived 2,000 years ago, a crucified Jewish carpenter. Are you kidding me? Coming to terms with sin, being saved only by God's grace. This is just odd, and it's not the packaging that maybe you would have preferred. Uh, there's a profound story you might consider reading, if this is you. It's found in the Old Testament in the book of Second Kings, chapter five, where there's this great army commander of Syria. His name is Naaman. Uh, But there's one problem with Naaman. For all his power, he has leprosy. He's a leper. But he finds out, he gets word that there's a man of God in Israel that perhaps can do something about his his condition. So he travels to Israel, and the prophet sends just a messenger, a lowly messenger, over to him and tells him, if you want to be rid of your leprosy, go wash yourself in the Jordan River. To which Naaman scoffs. He's like, seriously? I came all this way to get a servant. tell me to go wash in a dirty river. I have better rivers in Syria. I could have washed there. Now, you can read the story to find out what happens to him. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5, but my point is that a lot of times God likes to work in unimpressive, seemingly mundane, really rusty can down-to-earth kinds of ways that you shouldn't write off so quickly. That's all. Now, Even for those of us who are Christians, I do wonder if being in God's kingdom, participating in his kingdom, sacrificing for his kingdom has become kind of rusty can for you. A little boring, not that interesting, but you need to look again because despite all the very normal looking things happening in God's kingdom, there's real treasure here it's worth sacrificing for. Uh, Craig, commentator Craig Blomberg uh, asks some questions. Sometimes it's easier to quote people who say really hard things than to just say them yourself, so I'm just gonna quote him and let them, him do the heavy lifting for me. He says, it's worth asking the question why we see so few examples, particularly in our American society, of people who obviously demonstrate sacrificial living, a commitment to Christ that truly costs them something significant, whether through downsizing their property and possessions, through changing jobs, or through radically different spending patterns? Why don't we see more who unambiguously demonstrate through an obvious, visible lifestyle that God's kingdom agenda is the highest priority for them, even to the point that life becomes noticeably less comfortable for them than it might otherwise be? In fact, with rare exceptions, we see precisely the opposite. When we have a surplus, we'll give a little more to church or Christian causes, though probably nowhere close to a tithe, much less a graduated tithe by which we increase the percentage of our giving as our earnings increase. Why then are so many American Christians so shallow, so superficial in their commitment? Well, I think at least one reason is we just forget. We forget how valuable God's kingdom is and what a privilege it is to participate in that and see it grow and flourish. It looks kind of rusty can. But it's not. To be called into God's kingdom is a pretty big deal. It's to be made right with the creator of the universe. To be saved from the righteous anger of God against sin. To be forgiven by our maker. And to become children of our heavenly father. And to be in God's kingdom is to join God in his work of reconciling the world to himself as his ambassadors. To be called into God's kingdom is to find a a meaning and a purpose in your life. To have a reason to get up in the morning, a reason for actually living. To be called into God's kingdom is to find a love so pure, it melts our hearts and causes us to love God and even to love our enemies. To be called into God's kingdom is to be able to look forward to a day where there is no more sorrow, where our tears are wiped away, our infirmities are fully dealt with, our iniquities too, and to live under the peace and harmony of the reign of Christ. To be called into God's kingdom is to be invited into everything we've ever truly wanted or most deeply needed. There is treasure here, and it is worth living for. It's worth giving for, not out of compulsion, but out of joy. So, the second parable, very similar to the first one. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So here, instead of someone stumbling across buried treasure, this story has someone who's highly trained to look for it. He's a high-end business dealer in pearls. If anybody knew pearls, it was this guy. And he finds one pearl that's apparently worth liquidating all of his assets just so he could go and purchase that one item. And this must have been quite the pearl. Like there was an oyster cranking on this thing for who knows how long. And Jesus wants us to see, though, that the reaction of both men, even though they come different places, one stumbles upon the treasure, one was looking for it his whole life. The reaction of both men is exactly the same. The kingdom of heaven is not your ordinary treasure. Both men willingly, gladly, and quickly divest themselves of all that they have for the sake of what they've found. One for the treasure, one for the pearl, but it says they literally sold whatever they had to obtain the prize because they knew what they would gain from this transaction way overshadowed what they would lose. So my parents, uh, they grew up in small town Georgia where my great grandfather at one point bought, uh, he bought a small farm. Many of you have heard me talk about the farm. Uh, this is one of my sons there fishing on the pond there. It's, it's a really special place to me. Uh, growing up we did a lot of work on this farm. We fixed up a super old barn that was there and then put horses in the barn Went hunting, went fishing. It was a great place for a kid just to spend copious amounts of time learning how to shoot, ride, chew tobacco. Just kidding, and mostly, sorry, mom, and you know anything else that a wannabe cowboy would need might learn to do. So uh, eventually, we decided to build a a house on this property out of, out of, and around an old church. That's me and my dad back in the day um, on the property, and we did a lot of work. On this house ourselves. Um, Some of my best worst favorite memories are just staying up till like 2 a.m. with my dad running a tile saw uh, to tile the bathrooms and you go to bed that night not even taking a shower just a line of you know grit and grout from the from the tile saw right up and down your body. Uh, It was fun. Now looking back but a few years ago uh, my dad told me he said hey guess what we're gonna have some new neighbors out of the farm which I was surprised to hear. People don't really sell their land in small-town Georgia. So I said, oh, yeah, who's, who's that? And he said, well, Bill and Melinda Gates have just bought several thousand acres of our neighbors' farms. To which I replied, what in the world are Bill and Melinda Gates, why do they want to move to South Georgia? And Dad said, they're not moving here. Uh, but the Gates Foundation will buy up land to grow produce for their charity projects. And the land around this area is onion territory. Everybody there grows onions. So this is, this is part, of, part of that project. And Dad said, I thought about trying to find out if they want to buy a summer home out here, which there really needs to be a winter home because it's so hot uh, in South Georgia. But when he said that, I was, I was like, Dad, Dad, I mean, no, you can't even, like, don't try to find out. We're, we can't sell the farm, right? It's the farm. Come on. And he said, yeah, buddy, I thought the same thing until I found out how much Bill and Melinda had been willing to pay per acre for our neighbor's land. He said, we could sell this farm and buy five times as much land closer to home. It would only make sense. As it turns out, the Gates Foundation had no interest in our home or farm or land. But what if they had? And what if they had made a Gates-sized offer on it? I I was not open to the idea of selling the farm, but I started thinking about it. What would I be willing to sell the farm for? Half a million dollars? Ten million dollars? A hundred million dollars? I mean, like everybody has a price at some point, right? At some point, the trade becomes a no-brainer. As much as it might hurt to let go of something you love. It is the only sensible thing to do. I like the lyric from the song, Betton the farm is well worth the risk to carefully keep such a beautiful gift that's yours forever. It's a pretty good deal. Living for, giving for God's kingdom is that kind of offer. Whatever your farm is, it's worth the trade, Jesus would tell us. David Livingstone, who is a pioneer missionary who died taking the gospel to the jungles of of Africa once asked, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? There's lots of ways uh, that we may be called to sacrifice for God's kingdom. The point of both of these parables, it's worth it. It's a no-brainer. And there's two ways that I want to apply all this, or maybe I should say two opportunities for us as a church family to happily put our money where our mouth is. Again, not out of guilt or compulsion, but out of glad generosity and joy. The first of the two ways uh, that I have in mind is the needs of our church and the current budget deficit that we are facing. Let me give you our update for October giving. You can see on the slide there the red and the parentheses, Um, are negative numbers compared to what we had budgeted or planned for this year. So October was a very low month, uh, $34,000 below our anticipated giving, adding for a total of being $129,000 below our estimated uh, giving for this year. Now there's several things I could say about this, um, but the first thing I should probably say is just by way of admission and confession. Um, I think I can say for our elders, but I'll just speak especially for myself, is that I don't feel that we've particularly led you through this season of financial deficit very well. Uh, Even though we prayerfully decided to take a significant budget increase this year, we, we prayerfully decided on that based on the needs of the church, but I'm not sure that we set the example to you by communicating our own increase in personal giving and then inviting you to join with us. Northwake, you know, has had challenging financial years before, and I think personally for me, I just kind of presumed that it would all work out without advocating well for the need and without setting the pace for you, and that's just not great leadership, and we will, we will hope to lead you more helpfully in this in 2024. What can I say? It's what you get for hiring a newbie. Um, I think I can get away with that excuse for a bit longer, yeah? Yeah. Um, you know, I think maybe one reason I presumed upon our budget, too, is that even though our attendance has grown from this time last year, uh, our giving has stayed fairly flat. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that could be, uh, but I should say that even so, Northwake is still, for our size church, a generous church. And we do punch above our weight financially in a lot of the things that we do. There's a lot of things that our church does that a lot of churches our size do not have the opportunity to do. Now, one struggle here obviously is the global economy and significant inflation seems to be hurting everyone across the board. Uh, according to Giving USA, charitable giving has dropped by 3.4% last year, which is um, a 10.5% decrease in charitable giving when adjusted for inflation. So, this is across the board. Uh, Americans gave, last year, 1.7% of their personable, personal disposable income to charity. Uh, the lowest that we've given since 1995. So that's kind of what those lines are. The charitable giving as percent of personal disposable income were down to 1.7% as Americans. Just as interesting uh, to me is a stat that I found from a from nonprofit source that said, during the Great Depression, Christians gave 3.3% of their income away. Now, today, Christians give on average 2.5% of their income away. So on average, we give away almost a whole percent less than Christians did during the Great Depression. Now, again, and I'm gonna say this a few times, many of you are really, truly financially strapped right now And you're barely making ends meet. And I do not want to heap guilt on you at all for what percentage of your income that you give. We give as God prospers us and as he enables us to give. But as I also said, it's still good for us to consider how we can be generous even when that generosity must be modest. And then the last thing I think I should say about our current budget deficit is that it does have an impact on the ministry and financial health of our church. Even though we have attempted as best we can to reduce our spending and have canceled or postponed several ministry expenses, we still need to significantly cut into our reserve funds if this year ends in the trajectory that it's going. And not just, you know... I happen to say all this on the day where we have a budget meeting afterwards, but it just kind of worked out that way with, with this sermon, so sorry for that. But if you have more questions, feel free to come to that. Now, the neat thing, though, is it's actually, it's actually not out of reach for us to make up lost ground and even to meet our projected budget, like the whole enchilada. Just to run some hypothetical math with you, Northwake has around 420 official members, just official members. Uh, With a budget deficit of even a number like $129,000, if each member was to give an additional $300 by the end of the year, we could fully close that gap. Now, once more, I want to say, I understand that for many people, $300 is just not doable. And then for many of you, $300 is kind of like no big deal. And for some of us, we have like $900 worth of random stuff in our attic that we really should sell anyway. So the budget deficit, yes, it is significant, uh, but it is sacrificially achievable if we want to all band together in this. All that to say, our primary concern is not necessarily that we meet our budget goal, but that God would be glorified even in our needs, personally and together. Perhaps he'll be glorified by more generous giving as we close the gap towards the end of the year. Perhaps he will be glorified in helping us make do with less. Either way, our prayer is simply that God would be glorified in all things here, finances included. But the second opportunity, and this is more fun to talk about, that we have to experience generous joy is through our annual Gen 12 offering, which you'll hear more about in the coming weeks as we take pledges. Uh, If you are newish or you forgot what Gen 12 does, Gen 12 is a separate giving channel that we began a few years ago after finally paying off the mortgage for the building that you're sitting in right now. uh, It's it's based on Genesis chapter 12 where God blesses Abraham for the sake of blessing other nations through him. So Gen 12 became a way that we could bless others through self-setting separate additional pledges for the coming year. And the good news is these pledges have held really steady through the year, uh, which is awesome. Let's put the update back up there if you don't mind. Uh, Oh, thank you. You fixed the font where we can see the numbers. Perfect. So year to date with our Gen 12 pledges, uh, we're a little over $7,000 ahead of the pledges that we made, which which is fabulous. And this year we've been able to do stuff with that money like train church planters in the mangrove islands of West Bengal, India, Uh, We funded explosive growth at the Hispaniola Institute of Theology in the Dominican. We continue to fund a part-time staffer to provide additional support and counsel to our 40-plus missionary families. We helped start up a house church in Winston-Salem. We support a Hispanic church in Washington, D.C., and then we helped use some of that for seed money to start a free medical clinic, which we just launched last week. So, it's been a busy year. We did a lot, and it was fun. And then, plus, you also pledged to keep additional monies in your pocket to not give to North Wake but just to keep on hand for when God sends someone across your path that you could be generous to and you could share about the wildly generous love of God in Jesus Christ. We call that our neighbor-to-neighbor pledge, and we'll take that up again, or we'll plan to do that as part of Gen 12 again in 2024. Now, looking ahead in 2024, we have fewer things on the docket, but that's because at least one of them is a fairly big-ticket item. Uh, One place that we want to invest more in 2024 is in our facilities and our campus, uh, we, have, we have well used the facilities that God has given us and we plan to continue to. But we do have things that age and break. Not quite crumbling, but that age and break. And uh, we need to get a good plan together for the future about how to utilize our campus best. Uh, to get a, and so we want to use some money to get a fuller facilities financial assessment so we can know exactly where we stand Uh, with the lifespan of some of our facilities, and then to make some improvements in some of the utilities that we have here on campus as we do some long-range campus planning and have better data on whether or not we will at some point need to replace any of the buildings that we have. So that's one thing that we need to take care of amongst ourselves. And then secondly, we want to continue to fund that part-time missionary support staff, uh, Shanna Smith. As I mentioned last week, We have 40 plus missionary units around the world with more on the way, so it's kind of like we have a small congregation of 168 people that don't live here that we still try to care for and that we hold the ropes for in their ministry. Not every church carries that kind of of weight and care for others around the world. And then third, uh, this is the bigger ticket item that I hinted at last week, we want to host another far-flung family retreat in Europe this July, where many of our Asia-based Far Flungs will actually already be just before this retreat. So the original re- plan was to rotate retreats every couple of years between Asia or Europe to be able to be in a place where the Far Flungs from that area could travel to go. This year, so many of our Asia Far Flung families will already be in Europe. So if we do another retreat in Europe, we. Act we actually may be able to include almost all of our far-flung families in one place, which would be awesome. Uh, and this retreat is a, it's a wonderful way and an efficient way, really, to connect with our far-flung families, to get quality time with them, uh, to listen to them, to counsel them. In some cases, this retreat in 2022 was literally a lifesaver for some of our missionaries, um, a handful of them actually have sent in a short video. We've got three folks, two couples, and one uh, ch- child of a missionary family that sent us a video to express how much the 2022 retreat in Portugal meant to them. So watch these.
1: Hey, Northwake, it's Mitch and Sarah again.
2: Hey guys, we just wanna take this opportunity to thank you again for the really awesome retreat that you all helped put on in Portugal last year. And we just wanted to say how awesome it was for us, how helpful it was for our family Um, as we were going through some difficult things. The counsel we were given, the support we were given, the time to rest and be with other people like us that live across the world was so encouraging to us, so encouraging to our children. So we just want to say thank you again and we look forward to seeing you again.
1: Hey, North Wake, it's Glenn and Christy Ansley. We're uh, sending you this video from Bologna, Italy, and we just wanted to take a second to thank you for uh, your contributions to the Gen 12 offering. Um, as you guys know, a large portion of that offering last year went to pay for the, uh, the retreat that we were able to attend in Portugal, and this made a big difference in our family at a time when we were kind of struggling just to... To get through and want to stay on the field.
2: It was a tremendous blessing. We hadn't been home in three and a half years and um, we hadn't seen so many of you and we were in a really difficult spot ministry-wise and we were in the process of moving cities and saying goodbyes and restarting and it was just such a tremendous gift to be with other people who have been overseas and to be with pastors and to be with friends that encouraged us and listened to us and um, commiserated with us. And it was a huge blessing for our kids, mm-hmm. too, to have other kids there um, for friendship and encouragement. And we just, um, it was a, a week of rest and um, beautiful scenery where we could really spend time with the Lord and spend time with each other and spend time with other believers and a time of a, a, a big drought uh, for us spiritually and emotionally, and just within our relationships with uh, friends and family. So we are so, so grateful. Yep.
1: Uh, whenever we tell our colleagues that uh, our church <laughs> was able to support us like that, they it's like, what church do you go to? Yeah. Uh, so we again, we're just thankful for it, and we're thankful that you continue to give and that North Wake will be able to continue to bless uh, other missionaries as they serve overseas in difficult Uh, circumstances. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Hi, I'm Rachel Vahala, a missionary in the Czech Republic. I really enjoyed the retreat last year because it was a time to get away with family and be encouraged. One thing that was really nice to me was getting to see my best friend who came to help with the retreat. She's a really big blessing to me and I think that if any of you have uh, missionary friends who you know uh, that are gonna be at the retreat then you could be a really big encouragement to them. We also got to meet a lot of new people Whether it was the North Wake volunteers or the missionaries who were there, we all had a great time together. And coming from the same background as the other missionary kids, we really bonded together over the activities and the Bible studies where we would share and pray for each other. Whenever the body of Christ comes together, it's a great opportunity for Christ-centered fellowship and refreshment. So if you have the opportunity, come and be encouraged as you encourage others.
0: There's a lot of good ways you can use your money. That one sounds like a lot of fun to me. You know, making other churches' missionaries jealous since 2022. That's how we roll. But, um, Chuck Feeney was a billionaire who intentionally went broke by the end of his life. He, his goal was to give away his fortune to charity before he died. He said, I see little reason to delay giving when so much good can be achieved through supporting worthwhile causes. Besides, it's a lot more fun to give while you live than give while you're dead. We have the joy of giving to some really wonderful things. And I hope it is fun for you to give to those things. I hope it's a joy because giving to God's kingdom is it's an awesome thing to do. And yet, the greatest passage perhaps on giving in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8 through 9, though it commends joyful giving. Uh, It doesn't end with, great job being generous, everyone. That was so fun. Woo! It ends with, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You see, if joy is the engine of sacrifice, then we need to see the joy of Jesus as he sacrifices himself for us. Hebrews 12 says it was the joy of saving you and me and honoring his father that drove him to sacrifice his very life on the cross for us. You see, Jesus has already made a much greater trade and a much greater sacrifice for us than we will ever make for him. Jesus, the treasure of heaven, ransomed us, the Bible says, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with his precious blood. Christ has already made a far greater sacrifice for us than we will ever make for him so he can be trusted when he tells us his kingdom is worth the trade-off. Meditate on that long enough and you will find the joy that you need to run the engine of sacrificial living and yes, even sacrificial giving. Let's pray.